We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Social awareness. That's to take a piss. Don't take a shit in the porta potties. All right. All right. Welcome to another edition of the Budding Heads podcast on the Rams Talk Radio post NFL Draft edition. Finally made it to the draft, and uh, the Rams definitely drafted some players. That was the thing that happened. Johnny, how you feeling, man? Uh, how, how did your draft experience go? Yeah, I um, I think I'm with most of the uh, rest of the Rams fan base in saying that I'm conflicted, although I'm not ready to, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm not ready to like jump off a cliff, like some people are just so eager to. <laughs> yeah, it was very, it was a weird weekend. Uh, <laughs> it it was uh, there was a lot going on during the regular draft, and then obviously once the Rams picked, uh, all hell broke loose. It was very, people were ridiculous on Twitter all all weekend, man. I, it, whenever like there's things. <laughs> that happen that people shit on the Rams for because they disagree with it. The crowd always comes out where they're like, well, like, I don't, why aren't you the GM? Like, you're just some dude at home. Like, they know better than you. It's like, dude, none of us think we'd be a better GM than Les Need because we disagree with him drafting a fifth wide receiver 
in the second round. It's like everyone just everyone always like loves to throw out that stuff. And it's like when we criticize players, man, like uh, when we sit here and say somebody like Kenny Young isn't good, like he's obviously a great football player, one of the best in the world. It's just relative to his competition. We don't think it's good. And when we talk about like GMs, like Les Need is a great GM, made a ton of mistakes. We're allowed to criticize this shit, man. That doesn't mean we think we should be running the team. Like I just, there was so many, so much of that this weekend, and it's just, it's the worst type of take. Like, no one thinks that. No one thinks we should be running the team just because we disagree with a decision somebody made in the draft. Well, I mean, to that, uh, even to add to that, I mean, many people didn't like the Aaron that when we uh, drafted Aaron Donald a while back, and. I'd say that went pretty well for us. Just saying. Right. And I will say in this podcast, I can almost guarantee that we are going to applaud some picks and criticize some picks. And there's a good chance that the players we applaud end up sucking and the players we criticize end up being good, as is with basically every player that's ever been drafted in the NFL. There are very, very few sure things in the NFL draft. Like it just it just doesn't happen, and it's a crapshoot. And especially today, the players we're going to talk about were not first round picks. None of them are sure things. It's every any one of these players can bust like easily, uh, because they're available at the prices we got them for because they're flawed guys. Now I don't think they're all going to bust. I think a lot of them will hit, and we'll talk about who we will. But uh, it's always a crapshoot, man. Every year the draft is a crapshoot. But it is a very, very fun and entertaining crapshoot. Very much so. And I I think that's what people are so concerned about is that um, I I feel like the Rams not having too many high draft picks, especially a lack of a first-round draft pick, that people are so immediate uh, to thinking that the Rams need to hit on every pick. And while, yes, that's the end goal is for the Rams to pick gold in every single selection, when you get down to, like, the seventh round picks, like, this is basically throwing caution to the wind. Like, it's whoever catches the eye of, of the scouts or, or less need. You know, it's not someone that's going to be a for sure thing. You're, you're not going to always find, you know, gold in the sixth, seventh round. like. Uh, you know, it, it it's just something you gotta be, you gotta be patient about. You know, some of these guys might get a a fair chance in the future, and uh, you know, may pan out to be a contributor, and and that's great. You know, um, but hopefully, yes, when you're talking about second, third, fourth round picks, uh, the goal is to eventually have these guys as starters. Right, and yeah, and uh, you can find people find starters in every round of the draft, but you know, for us specifically, because we didn't have a first round pick, day two is probably the most crucial day. We had three picks. Uh, we ended up trading back out of eighty eight and picking up some picks in the fourth round, and you know, giving a couple swings in there. And yeah, you you the hope is that you know a couple of these guys are going to be starters, and we made nine picks in this draft. If three of them work out very well that's a successful draft 
um, because it really is an absolute crapshoot. And if you if you get three guys who are contributors for the durations of their rookie contract and maybe even beyond, that's a success uh, in the NFL draft, I would say, especially because of how, you know, most of our picks were late and later picks are a lot more volatile than guys in the first round. You miss you miss a pick in the first round. It's hard to not justify your draft with a failure. There's obviously times like when you have two first round picks. One of them is a tackle who immediately busts. And the other is a defensive tackle who becomes one of the best players ever. I think you can call it a success if that's the case. But um, yeah, without without a first round pick, which the Rams haven't had a first round pick um, since the Nixon administration, it's a lot easier to, you know, take swings and miss. And you know, it, like as we said before this draft, if none of these players work out, uh, it's probably not going to matter for this season. It it'll it might hurt us down the road, but I uh, it's the Rams have a good roster. They had, you know, they didn't have a first round pick. It wasn't the most consequential draft, but it's an important one nonetheless. And let's talk about it, man. We'll dive into each of these prospects, but uh, I'll just read them all off real quick. I'll read every pick in the second round of fifty seven. They took wide receiver Tutu Atwell out of Louisville. Third round one hundred and three. They took an inside linebacker. Ernest Jones out of South Carolina in the fourth round, they took uh, <laughs> in the fourth round, they took defensive lineman Bobby Brown at 117 out of Texas A&M. They had three fourth round picks at 130. They took cornerback Robert Rochelle out of Central Arkansas at 141. They took wide receiver Jacob Harris out of UCF, who they plan on playing at tight end, despite him being in the draft process as a wide receiver. Uh, in the fifth round at 174, they took defensive end Ernest Brown out of Northwestern. Then three picks in the seventh round. I'm not going to name the numbers. They took running back Jake Funk out of Maryland, wide receiver Ben Skronek out of Notre Dame, and edge rusher Chris Garrett out of Concordia St. Paul, Division II. I absolutely love that pick. That is just the, my dream in the seventh round is to draft players like Chris Garrett. <laughs> but so nine players total. Four out of the nine are skill players. Um, Chadi, I just give like your initial reaction to the totality of this draft. Well, when you look at the the outcome of this draft, you automatically know that general manager Les Snead and head coach Sean McVay are trying to make this one of the most explosive offenses ever assembled. And that's that's obvious because it the the Rams have ha- always had a fundamentally good offense, but now that they have Matthew Stafford, who's far more dynamic than say Jared Goff was, now you have a little bit more room to add more unique and specialized weapons, and that's when you get guys like Tutu Atwell. That's when you pursue guys like Jacob Harris. You know, these are guys that are that are going to kind of put the Rams up a notch, you know? that There was never a huge concern about the Rams' offense, well, sucking, because that's not true. That ob- It's obviously not true. They may have not been, you know, the top offense in the league, but they certainly were good. And I think this is kind of McVeigh's and Sneed's, you know, impulse on these moves 
is trying to just give more weapons and a more variety of weapons. Because when you look at some of these selections, these are guys that the Rams haven't had. You know, we've already had guys that are possession receivers. We have three of them on the roster. We, we already have, um, I mean, they didn't address running back at all unless you count uh, Jake Funk, who uh, they already announced is not going to really be competing for like playing time at running back. He's more going to be special teams coverage. And then you look on the other side of the ball, the defensive side of the ball. They know that the Rams are pretty stacked defensively. There was really one glaring need that the Rams had, and that was that inside linebacker, which they sort of addressed. So as we all know, that inside linebacker is not really a a position of interest for the Rams. Well, listen, they put more interest in the position this year than they have in, like, five years. That's true. uh... That's true. That's absolutely true. But um, if this was truly a pressing need, they would have used that in the second round. Let's Let's be real. But you know what? They uh they added they added an inside linebacker. Great. Congratulations. That's what we needed. And then you look at the rest of the guys. The rest of them are pretty much backup roles. You know, they added depth, you know, in thin areas, particularly on the defensive line. Although at cornerback they did target uh a nickel corner for the most part. And uh, you know, they they got their guy at cornerback. So really, they they actually hit in a lot more positions than people realize. Just what there was only one position that they didn't target that many of us would agree that should have been targeted, or at least in many people's minds, myself included, and that was offensive line. And to that, basically, the Rams are saying that. We're good at offensive line. We don't need anybody else. You know, they added a few guys, uh, undrafted free agents, which, hey, that's that's something, I guess. You might find gold there every now and then, very rarely. But, um, you know, they, that just shows their confidence in it. And while I don't necessarily agree with that, obviously they know something we don't. Um my thoughts is they're going to probably slide in Austin Corbett at center, but we don't even know that for sure. They may be confident in Brian Allen being the center, which I that scares me to death, but... Yeah, um, I don't think they are. I do not think they're confident in Brian Allen. Anytime that take comes up, until I see him starting at center, I'm going to reiterate that. <laughs> you know, I, I, I agree with you, Steve. I really do. But at the same time, you know, we were kind of questioning Brian Allen starting in 2019, and yet he did. And that didn't last long. Yeah, yeah, we saw it. We saw what it looks like. And maybe he's a better player now. It was It'll be two years ago by season start. But uh, obviously there's a lot of questions about how that offensive line rotation is going to look. And because we have a couple months till the season starts, We'll dive into that on a different pod. But, I mean, yeah, the story of this draft for a lot of people is that they didn't address interior offensive linemen at all. 
And it was what I think almost all of us thought and a lot of uh, you know analysts thought they would go at 57. And to me, it's like, well, you know, once you don't go that route at 57, because if they don't think a guy where, where else, wherever else they pick, you know, even at 88 when they traded out or at the end of the third or in the fourth round, if they don't view those guys as potential starters, I get the decision to not address it in this draft beyond 57. And like, if they, if they took a center in the seventh round, it's like, okay, like it doesn't, it doesn't do anything. And, and in that regard, like, I think their stretch, um, from Ernest Jones, I think the stretch of Ernest Jones, Bobby Brown, and Robert Rochelle were solid picks after taking these guys that addressed a need. We'll dive into them a little bit more. Like, was Ernest Jones the right inside linebacker? I don't know, but I like that they, they actually finally fucking addressed the position as we've been clamoring on this podcast for two years. Uh, and and they in, on day two, nonetheless, I was happy about that. And then, you know, like you said, Brown and Rochelle, they're depth guys with upside at positions that we could use some depth. But it's... Because of the limited picks and because, you know, the need at interior offensive line and, and because there were guys like Creed Humphrey sitting there at 57, it's hard for me to, like, there is a lot I like about this class, and um, I think they made some really interesting picks. It's hard for me to, like, grade the class beyond giving most of the grade to the pick at 57. And I fucking hate the pick at man it it's not a knock on tutu atwell it's just to go wide receiver at 57 when you did it last year when you signed to sean jackson i know it's a sean jackson he might be a runny rental he might never even play a game with us because of injury but you already have two guys that are really good at the top you drafted a receiver last year and to go that again it is one of the like lowest needs on the team and i get they're trying to add something to this offense but and we'll die. We'll really dive into him in a second. He's not. He's an extremely risky pick. Um, he has a lot of shades of a player that used to play for the Rams. Um, that less neat. Like he, I, I get the upside of Tutu Atwell is that he's a guy who, if he gets the ball in the open field, is going to be an absolute nightmare. And in theory, he could add that deep threat that we're desperately craving. But you know, he seems like the most likely. Outcome for him is is a gadget player that can you know take the ball in jet sweeps and do a lot of things. And if you get him in the you, if you can design plays to get him a ball in the open field, he's going to kill it. But it's just it maybe the, I I just wonder like what happened that they, now they're deciding that they need that type of player, um, because like Sean McVay like I this two Diablo is not Tavon Austin, but the comparisons are going to come out from Rams fans. And it just like reminds me like Sean McVay coached Tavon Austin and he just straight up used him as a running back, you know, for all Tavon Austin's flaws. He's the guy where if you design plays to get the ball in the open field, he could burn people and he burned people a lot in his time here. It's just more often than not, he was a disappointment. And for his draft capital, he was a massive disappointment, but like they had that player on the roster and they, he was literally their backup running back. And they never did anything interesting with them. It's just like, what what woke up that like now they're like we need to add that very specific type of player to this offense, and let alone use our top draft pick on him when there are you know more pressing needs on the team. I 
I am like I imagine they're gonna have a use for this guy, but on day one of training camp, he's gonna be the fifth wide receiver on the depth chart. That is not true for second round picks basically ever. So it's just like it's it's just a head scratching decision that like that that was where they netted out was like this is what we need to add with this pick. Yeah, I I tend to agree with you on most of those points in terms of you know the the value that you have there in the second round pick. You had guys like Creed Humphrey available who I was really hoping that they'd get. But Tutu Atwell just I mean, let's face it, if you're going based on value, he was kind of a reach for the second round pick. Now, to be fair, I don't think he was going to be available in the third round, uh, at least where the Rams were picking. But at the same time, it, it's like you have like a, a concern at center. While Creed Humphrey, we don't know how he's going to develop in the NFL level. You can't really sit here and justify that the center position isn't at least somewhat of a concern. Because let's say that the Rams do end up moving Austin Corbett to center. What if he sucks? He actually did play center with the Cleveland Browns and wasn't very good. Now, to the Rams' credit, they have a much better offensive line than the Cleveland Browns did at the time. But that's, that's still not the point. You don't really know, you don't really know how this is going to adjust his skill level. And even if the Rams are confident in Brian Allen, which if you ask uh, Steve or myself, we're probably not going to be, you know, the supporting this decision. But Brian Allen did not have a successful campaign in 2019 at all. So when all this is said and done, it's still a legitimate concern. But I can understand to an extent, why they did it. They're basically jonesing on the idea of having a really top-notch offense, and while this is a, as about as luxury pick as you can get, a gadget player like Tutu Atwell could make this a very, very dangerous offense. And that's not even keeping in mind that you also have Deshaun Jackson out there. You know, pairing Atwell with Jackson, this can be really fun. And we all know that Matthew Stafford can make those throws downfield. We all know that the three possession receivers we have are going to make those plays when Matthew Stafford opts not to throw it downfield. This is going to be a really fun offense, isn't it? This isn't even considering the successful running backs that we have in Cam Akers and Daryl Henderson. And I might be jumping the gun a little bit, but I have a lot of faith in both of those running backs. Yeah, there's no reason not to have faith in the backfield. No, not at all. And if anything, this makes the backfield that much more successful. And as Steve mentioned before, we know that Sean McVay is just really biting at the bit to use Atwell and probably Deshaun Jackson as well in certain running schemes. So, you know, I think this in turn will make this offense that much better. 
because you can't, I mean, he was already doing that with guys like Cooper Cup and Robert Woods. And while they both have a decent speed, they're not anywhere near the speedy wide receivers that, you know, is necessary to make those kinds of plays. So this is going to be a very dynamic offense. You're going to see Sean McVay's offensive brilliance when it comes to that. The only thing is we have to hope and pray that the offensive line stays healthy. Because if any one of these guys goes down, I'm not so confident that this offensive line can hold. And you might be seeing Matthew Stafford running for his life again. Yeah, and I think they are betting on Stafford's mobility a little bit to offset the lack, maybe lack of a weaker offensive line. And if, you know, is that the right call? I will see. But let, yeah, let's let's talk about Tutu a little bit. Um, that you add this guy because he's fast. Uh, he is a dangerous playmaker when he gets the ball in the open field, when he has space to work. Uh, he's fast. Let's need basically said that he was, they thought he was the fastest player in the draft. He had the third most yards per catch in the nation over the last two seasons out of Louisville. Uh, you know, if it works out, this guy's going to be a nightmare. Think, you know, smaller Percy Harvin type player where like, there's just so much you could do with him. And if you get him the ball, uh, he's a threat to, to make moves. Uh, the Rams love jet sweeps. This is a guy who you give jet sweeps to. Uh, it makes sense in that route. Uh, he has the breakaway ability on the deep balls. You know, this is a home run hitter. But there's also he's also got some drawbacks, Johnny. He is basically the size that I was when I played football in high school. He's 5'9", 155 pounds. He might have been the smallest player in the draft. Um, you know, now it's helpful that we're not going to be relying on him on a every down basis to really be like a he he's going to be he's going to be a guy they get the ball to when they're taking home run swings. And we've lacked home run swings in the past. But, you know, at 57, you're going for a home run hitter here. It's at a position that you don't need another player. It's interesting. Uh, it's a very interesting pick, and I'm really excited to see how it plays out. But I have a lot of concerns, a lot of reservations. Um, but that being said, you know, if, if, if the deep ball translates and if he's able to get separation at the line and really burn people and, you know, getting separation at 5'9", 155 pounds, it's going to be a, a challenge, I would imagine. Uh, this could be a decent pick. You know, in theory, the player we're describing here sounds like he'd be a great punt returner. He doesn't return kicks. That might change, but I, I don't. I feel like it, it might not. Um, I mean, how do you feel about him as a prospect? Man, I, you mentioned he might have been a little bit of a reach, and I think a lot of people saw him as a bit of a reach here. But, uh, you know, if this is a guy who's grading out as a third-round talent and the Rams want him, I don't really mind them going up and getting him, but I I don't love the pick, as I mentioned. If we're going to go strictly on value, the guy that was kind of projected to go in the second round and did go in the second round, a pick before us, Dwayne Eskridge, who the Rams did actually have a lot of interest in, I think the Rams were truly going after Dwayne Eskridge. And I... I'm trying to remember where I heard this from, but I heard either Snead or, or McVeigh say that um, that there were other teams that are trying to counteract their moves based on their interests. 
And that immediately made me think of the Seahawks drafting Eskridge. Because when you think about the Seattle Seahawks, they that was a luxury pick for them too, if we're going to be real. You know, uh, keep in mind, this this is also a second-round pick for them. Yeah. So, and, and they also didn't have a first-round pick. It's, it's pretty hilarious how it uh, mirrored. And they're another team with two, I would say, you could argue they have two top receivers better than our two top receivers. Uh, so, yeah, it's funny that we both did this. I, I might have to tune into a Seahawks podcast just to hear their reaction to the Eskridge pick. Yeah, because like honestly, I and I think for them, um, they they were trying to replace Moore, who who uh, they lost in free agency. So in essence, I guess that kind of makes sense. Um, a little bit more than the Rams because the Rams are, you know, they had just picked up Deshaun Jackson, who, I mean, he he's a rental in a in a way, but still. It, it was just odd to me that the that the Seahawks drafted Eskridge right before the Rams, and I think the Rams were really high on Eskridge and was probably going to draft them, and Atwell was probably going to be the backup uh, just in case somebody did pick Eskridge. And 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 you know, hey, I I, I in a way, if if they were truly targeting this you know, speedy receiver, then I guess Atwell would be the next best guy. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe they were targeting Atwell more than Eskridge, but, and they'll probably tell you that now, but who, who's going to sit there and say, oh, no, Eskridge was our guy. Uh, At- Atwell was, was kind of our backup plan. No, nobody's going to say that right this second. So... Uh, in the end, they 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 were. I, I truly believe that's what they were targeting from the beginning. They wanted uh, either one of these guys, but probably, preferably Eskridge. And as a prospect for Atwell, I think that this is a guy that can truly be a a uh, a good find in the second round for sure. Um, maybe not a home run in in the second round. But considering what this guy's going to be actually used for, he doesn't need to be the best guy. You know, he just needs to do what he does, and that's be a speedy, uh, a speedy receiver. And one of the things about, uh, one of the things about Atwell that I truly like more than anything else is, as opposed to Tavon Austin. You know, Tavon Austin had a successful collegiate career. I don't think anyone could deny that. But what Atwell does better than what um, better than what Austin did at any point of his career was this was a guy that did find ways to gain, uh, get separation. And you know, as Steve mentioned, this is not a big guy. This is a really tiny guy. And yes, smaller the- than Tavon, maybe. <laughs> Uh, that's that's entirely possible. It would not surprise me. But it, even if you go back to some of the tape for Tavon Austin, he didn't exactly create the separation that Atwell did. You know, the reason uh, the reason he got separation was just speed alone. But with Atwell, if you really look at his film, he actually created separation in a variety of ways. He 
yes, speed was one of the number one reasons he did, but he also had a had a way of getting away from defenders. And that's that's special. You know, that's that's the kind of guy you want. Now, obviously, because of his size, this is not a guy that you want out there every play. And I think that's the other mistake here with with Tavon Austin. Tavon Austin should not have been a starter at any point. He should not have been a starter. He should he should be exactly used how Atwell is going to be used at this point. So while I didn't love the pick, and I honestly, if I was drafting, I probably wouldn't have done that. Um, I'm not. I'm not like losing sleep over it either because I can see I can see where this We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Is going. And I think if... If done successfully, this could be a much scarier offense that's going to be, uh, that's, you know, not be get, being given credit for. So, I, honestly, as disappointed as I was, I wasn't to the point where, like, I was calling for Les Needs' job. You know, I, you know, <laughs> you guys, some of you guys really need to, you know, take it easy, take it back a notch. Don't get me wrong, I was disappointed too. I really wanted Creed Humphrey. But I do think that Tutu Atwell is going to do some impressive things here. Yeah, we'll see what happens. And yeah, it's if if the offensive line this year is a problem for the Rams, we will absolutely be watching uh, Tutu Atwell with a very big microscope. Um, and there is uh, one quote I found interesting with Lesney was he basically said like, you know, they talked about Tutu and a couple other receivers in the draft, probably just Dwayne Eskridge. Uh, they had, like, a unique ability to get off, explode off the ball and keep running fast down the field, be a great deep threat. It's not something that comes in every receiver group. So they identified that year, and they wanted to address that, and he basically said that, you know, even though they have Deshaun Jackson on the team, that shouldn't stop you from going to get a guy like this because they don't come around every year. And that quote, I really agree with. Like, if they really feel like they need this type of player, Deshaun Jackson shouldn't stop you from doing it. So I, I applaud him for that in that sense. I don't think it was the right decision to go this route. I don't know. I don't necessarily think this is the type of player they need to add to the offense. I hope I'm wrong, and I hope he fucking balls out and is great. Uh, and it's very possible because, as I mentioned at the top of the show, 
All these people know more about football than I do. <laughs> Let's move on to uh, my absolute favorite moment of the draft. Uh, <laughs> so the Rams traded back from 88, and it's interesting because at 103, they took inside linebacker Ernest Jones out of the University of South Carolina. Uh, in, yeah, I repeat, inside linebacker. This is the highest lesson he has ever drafted an inside linebacker in his entire tenure with the Rams. If you consider Alec Ogletree an outside linebacker, which I do at the time he was drafted. <laughs> and they said that they would have taken Ernest Jones at 88, but they traded back thinking that they could still get him at 103, and they were right. So that is a great gamble. Um, <laughs> so, I, Johnny, before we even talk about the prospect, I just... We're, we got to be stoked on this podcast for all the things we've said about the Rams' refusal to address this position. I think I said a couple times it would be tough if we didn't exit day three with one of these three picks being an inside linebacker. I'm really happy one of them was. Yeah, and if you go by value, uh, certainly Ernest Jones here, I wouldn't say it was a steal, but it was actually good value there. He. Um, the fact that he was there, it, it it was actually impressive, and I I actually wasn't even considering Ernest Jones being selected with the third round pick because I just didn't think the Rams were going to do it. You know, I I really did not think so, and when I heard that they got an inside linebacker, I was I was just stunned, and then I get a text from Steve saying. It finally happened. It, <laughs> I I was like, I know, man. I know it finally happened. And, uh, you know, it, it was a good moment. I will say as much as I like Ernest Jones, I think he's a solid pickup. I would have liked them to have targeted an inside linebacker with, uh, with better coverage skills. I feel like Ernest, is jo uh, Ernest Jones is... Uh, Coverage skills are a little mm, not as great as they could be. They're not good. You could just say it. They're not good. They're not good. But, you know, I, I really was hoping for it. Uh, for, for an inside linebacker to have, like, good coverage skills like uh, Jabril Cox, who was there. And if I'm not mistaken, he was there also with our next third-round pick, wasn't he? Well, he was there at every pick we had at day two. But remember, we traded back from 88, so we only made one third-round pick. That's, uh, right. He was, That's right. He was not there at 117 when we took Bobby Brown. Um, and I think that makes this pick hurt a little bit more, is that you know we were also high on Jabril Cox. He seemed like a perfect fit, could cover, and a guy that was not expected to be there at 103 at all. So it was a little surprising when they went inside linebacker and didn't go Jabil Cox and have gone Ernest Jones. But I think there's such different players, like radically different ty types of strengths and weaknesses. Uh, Jabil Cox seems like he'd be a great cover linebacker from day one. Ernest Jones may never be a good cover linebacker. It, they're so different that it makes me feel a little bit better because it seems like this is the type of player that the Rams felt like would really help out their defense in this type of linebacker. He's a great tackler. Uh, he's a guy who's great playing downhill, not a great in coverage when he's stepping back. He's, he's not at his best. And I, I imagine he's going to get cooked a little bit as a coverage inside linebacker, which I don't love 
and I've talked about at length that the guys we had were all decent tacklers and bad in coverage. And I don't think he's going to be great in coverage, but I clearly, I, you know, maybe they don't value that in their inside linebackers right now. And maybe they'll plan on having some more safeties up in the box on, on passing downs like that when, when they need him. But he's a great tackler and he's not that athletic, but his football IQ by all accounts is really through the roof. Um, he seems like a guy who from day one should be able to make tackles. I would imagine at this draft capital and given who's in the linebacker room that he will at the minimum compete to start. And I would imagine he's a starting inside linebacker from day one here. I, 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 I mean, I, I, I kind of like it unless he actually did say that he believes that Jones is a, a solid in zone coverage, which, you know, makes me a little happy that they at least had some opinions on, on pass coverage. But one thing too, Johnny, and you could feel free to disagree. Uh, it seems like a lot of people in the scouting process in the Rams themselves after the draft have been plotting like Ernest Jones's leadership abilities and the guy uh, he was just the anchor of South Carolina's defense and the heart and soul and just like seems like he's gonna be a great leader. And that's gonna be something that, you know, if he could tackle and be well and be on the field at all times, the Rams need that because they haven't had like the captain of their defense hasn't been a linebacker in a little bit. Last year it was John Johnson. He was the guy getting the plays, calling the plays. Uh, that's gone. He, you could argue that, you know, obviously Aaron Donald is the leader of the defense, but John Johnson was kind of the vocal leader on the field and like the, the captain of the defense, so to speak, last year. And that's gone. And I believe Eric Weddle was calling the plays here before, right? Yeah, yeah. It's always been kind of uh, guys in the secondary, I believe. Uh, Akeem Tlaib might have been a leader at one point as well. Yeah, and I don't think it always was. I think, um, you know, I think it was Alec Ogletree when he was here, and obviously uh, that's been a bit. Um, but that I think they're also trying to fill that void with this pick, and I, that's not something that's going to happen from day one. But, you know, if, if guys gravitate towards this guy quick and he's actually good, uh, it's not unrealistic that if he, if he picks up the game and has a good understanding of it after his first year that he's calling the plays in year two. Uh, and I think that's something that went into consideration. We'll see if that plays out. But um, I, I love the pick from a personnel standpoint, and I like the pick from a prospect standpoint. I, I personally think Jabril Cox would have been a better fit for our defense. But I, 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 like I said, because there's such shifts, like I, I think I'm probably wrong, and I hope I'm wrong, and I hope that they know what they're doing going with this type of player instead. Um, going back to the leader, I think if we have to look at the last linebacker leader, probably is James Laronitis. Yeah, the last real, like, true inside linebacker leader. I agree. Wow, that's that's saying a lot. But uh, yeah, back to uh, Ernest Jones. When, even if even if Ernest Jones doesn't pan out to be a good coverage linebacker, which Based on tape, you you take a look at it. That's probably going to be true that he's not going to be the best coverage inside linebacker out there. He still immediately improves this inside linebacking core because when you add him to the mix, you you still have guys like Micah Kaiser, who I, I know Steve's not too high on the guy, but um, me personally, I think he's a he's a serviceable guy. Um, having yeah, as, him as, there as part of the rotation, 
I'm okay yes. with it. As the anchor of the linebacker unit, I know. <laughs> I, I I do like Micah Kaiser. I do. It's just for him, for him to stay healthy, That's that's been the biggest thing. He hasn't been healthy since he's been with the Rams. And I think this is why you had the need to go after a guy like Ernest Jones. Then, of course, we all forget about Traven Howard, who Traven Howard, much like Micah Kaiser, hasn't had the opportunity to showcase what he can do because of injuries. And this was a guy that was even going to get the start over uh, Micah Kaiser before he went out with an injury last year. So if Traven Howard can bounce back from his injury and become that guy, I think that we have a much better inside linebacking core. I mean, you, you really don't have much more to go when you have guys like Troy Reader and Kenny Young as your starters. Even if these guys improved the last year towards the end of the season, which I will admit they did improve a little bit, having these guys, whether it be Jones, whether it be Kaiser, whether it be Howard, these are all instant upgrades. And having them there, uh, which, as we know, the Rams don't run two inside linebackers very often. You're you're good. You're you're really good. If Ernest Jones becomes your starter, great. If he is, if he's in there situationally, great. You know, this is exactly what the Rams have needed to do from the get go. So even if he isn't the coverage specialist that I would have preferred, Ernest Jones already improves this in, inside linebacking core. Let's just hope he can continue his success on the professional level. And as Steve mentioned, leadership is always important. He's highly intelligent, always important for linebackers especially. This is a quality move. Yeah, it's everyone keeps bringing up Trayvon Howard, and um, now that we have Ernest Jones in the room, you know, I feel better about you know thinking that he will be a good part of the rotation. Um, but you know, there was a lot of talk about how like the people are like, "Well, Trayvon Howard's back; the linebackers will be fine." And it's like there's a chance that he really comes in and contributes, but also there's a chance that he gets cut. Like, I I wouldn't say he's a guarantee to make the roster. Uh, and your inside linebacking core should be banking on his return. Um, but, I mean, it'd be fucking amazing if he came in and started and was great. I would love that. Um, I prefer they cut Kenny Young, if I'm going to be honest. Yeah, I mean, they, there's a chance they cut both of them, if we're being honest here. Uh, <laughs> but we'll see what happens. Uh, fourth round, day three. The Rams made a lot of picks on day three, seven of their nine picks. Uh, we'll we'll talk through, try and get through all the these guys, some of them might get less time. First pick was defensive lineman Bobby Brown. He was, uh, you know, he led Texas A&M in sacks as a nose guard in 2020, which is insane. He was first team all SEC. That is not a fault, small feat in college. I uh, was a good pass rush in college. Based on what I was reading, scouts don't seem like that's going to translate immediately. But he's a defensive lineman who can play all three spots on the three four front, and it seems like he has a ton of upside. He was a big blue chip recruit out of of high school. He's young. He turns 21 in August. Uh, this is a position that wasn't a huge need, but could have used depth uh, with the departures of Michael Brockers and Morgan Fox, and they addressed that directly by adding two guys that seemed like they could be replacements for both of them. Um, 
I know I don't think Bobby Brown is going to be Michael Brockers, but seems like he's he's got a lot of upside and at worst should at least net out to being a rotational defensive lineman uh, to kind of spell, spell like three guys in the starters. I, I like the pick. I like the position. I like the prospect. So, Steve, your, your favorite pick, I'm assuming, was Ernest Jones. Am I right? Uh yeah, I think so. Um but I do like uh I do like another pick here a lot. So my favorite pick in this whole draft class was Bobby Brown. Love it. I I I absolutely love this pick. When they announced when they announced he was our pick, I was thinking to myself, is this guy still available? You know, this is a guy that was projected to go in the second round. Now, he did drop a little, but what he's being asked to do here, he is not being asked to be a starter here, at least not yet. He's basically going to take a year, to, uh, a couple years maybe, to learn from these guys. And who better to learn from than Aaron Donald? You know, this, there's literally no better teacher out there than Aaron Donald. And I have a lot of faith in Bobby Brown. I, I think this was a home run pick right here. Um, I, I love it. I, I just, I mean, there's not enough words to describe it here. He He's exactly a, a type of guy that you want to eventually replace a guy like Michael Brockers for. Uh, do I think he's going to be the next Michael Brockers? Don't know. Uh, maybe. Hopefully. But for for them to take a uh, a risk, which really isn't a risk in my opinion. I, I, I love the pick. We clearly needed depth at defensive tackle in particular. And, uh, you know, having hit him there along with great gains to learn. I, I think this is a solid pickup. I, I really do. This was my favorite pick by far in the draft. Yeah. I, I mean, to me, based on reading about all these guys, he seems like the safest pick of the bunch. Uh, you know, at worst, he, like I said, he's, he'll be in the rotation. I uh, I I would imagine, and like and and at best, yeah, like he's a ton of upside. He's going to learn from a lot of guys. He's not going to have to have a huge role this year because you got Ashawn Robinson there, and you got Sebastian Joseph Day there, and you obviously have ninety nine there. Um, but yeah, he'll add some depth, and he'll get he'll get chances to play. I think from day one, I think he'll be in the mix. Uh, I and him being your favorite pick that makes me very excited. Uh, I now I, now I got even higher hopes. I think it's a really good pick. Well, um, let's let's put it this way. Brown was was, you know, in some mock drafts and I know mock drafts means, you know, nothing, but in some mock drafts the Rams were targeting uh, you know, Bobby Brown with their second round pick. Yeah, it's it seems like it was a really deep class for uh defensive tackles, which obviously fell into our favor here, getting this guy in the fourth round. Yeah, absolutely, no doubt about it. So this next guy might was one of my favorite picks, Johnny. At one thirty, we took cornerback Robert Rochelle out of uh, Central Arkansas. Obviously, not a very big school compared to Texas A&M with Bobby Brown, but by all accounts, this guy seems like maybe one of the best athletes in the draft. At cornerback, he's six foot tall, one hundred ninety three pounds. He former wide receiver. He's got great ball skills. He's insanely athletic. Like, look up this guy's measurables; they're nuts. Uh, he's fast. He has all the tools 
to be a great cornerback at the next level. I he's got some work to do. He's really raw. Obviously, he played at Central Arkansas. He wasn't playing against the cream of the crop. Uh, but you can't teach size and you can't teach athleticism, and it's a stupid thing to say. He's also a ball hawk. I uh, I love this pick in the fourth round, man. It's a position of need with Troy Hill gone, and I you know I I don't think that on day one. Robert Rochelle is going to be able to walk in there and lock people down. But I, this seems like a really nice upside pick. And if it doesn't work out, I think they're going to be okay. But you did need to add, I think you did need to add a cornerback in the room with the, a cornerback to the, to the room with Troy Hill departing. And I think this is a great kind of player to target in the, the fourth round. And I think he could turn into something special uh, with, with time and development and, who better to learn under than than Jalen Ramsey and also Darius Williams, the guy, you know, you're talking about one guy who was an absolute blue trip NFL prospect in Ramsey and lived up to his expectations. And then a guy who was not a sought after prospect in Darius Williams, who shattered expectations. It's a great room to learn from and go into it in him. And uh, I, you know, I think there could be something here. He's, he's got really tremendous upside. You know, I, I said that Bobby Brown was my first uh, my my favorite is pick of all. This is my second, and that says a lot because Steve and I have been waiting for an inside linebacker forever, and the fact that we got it and that's my third favorite pick, that says a lot, you know. So, <laughs> is this guy going to come in immediately and make make some noise? Maybe, but I I think it's going to take him a little time. But what's really valuable about this guy is he's an athletic machine, which is exactly what the Rams need for the cornerback they're looking for. They needed like a nickel-type corner. And uh, bringing him into the mix is exactly what they needed to do to fulfill that spot. You know, because I think we, we've all... I've come to the realization that David Long is just not going to be that guy. You know, unfortunately, um, I mean, not to say that that this is automatically going to go to Robbie Rochelle, but um, (laughs) I think the writing's kind of on the wall because if they were confident in David Long, even with the departure of Troy Hill, I think the Rams don't make this pick. They they might address cornerback later in the draft, but um, the fact that uh, they they kind of used a higher day three pick on them, it, it kind of shows that uh, that the Rams are at least a little bit concerned about David Long being the cornerback. Well, He's, I I think if uh, you know, I think they could still believe in David Long to an extent. And still make this pick because they really like Robbie Rochelle. You know, unless they think David Long is absolutely going to be a lockdown NFL cornerback, then sure, you don't make the pick. But, um, you know, even if you think, hey, David Long's our third cornerback this year, I think you still make this pick based on the upside with Rochelle, no? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I I, I think that the Rams, uh, they they did they did fall in love with this guy for obvious reasons. Like I said, his athleticism's through the roof. Um, I think what really sold it to them is uh, he has freakishly long arms. And, uh, you know, that sounds funny. But in the grand scheme of things, when when that's what you're trying to do is 
bat passes away, especially against some of these faster receivers out there, that's exactly what you want. You you want this athletic machine. You want this guy with longer arms. Uh, he has decent size for a cornerback. Why not? You know, and out of all these things, so yeah, he does have a bit of an uphill battle to the to climb out of because you know he didn't come from a notable school that doesn't necessarily mean anything. But I think this was as about as good as pick you can have for a cornerback in the fourth round. So you know, by all means, I I think this was a solid pickup. This. Like I said, my second favorite pick in the draft. I agree, man. I love it. Uh, high upside fills the void, fills the need. Um, yeah, it's, it's a great pick. For the Next at 141, I think easily the strangest and most bizarre pick of the draft. And I don't know if I mean, like, I don't necessarily mean that to say this is a terrible pick because I don't know if it is. Um, but they took Jacob Harris, a wide receiver out of UCF, who through the whole draft process has been getting called a wide receiver and the Rams announced him as a tight end, which means that they plan on playing him at tight end. He is a project tight end. Where have we heard that one before? Uh, second straight year, the Rams have taken a tight end in the fourth round. But that being said, we had three fourth round picks this year. So it's not, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it could be a gamble, but it also might not be based on everything the Rams have said. They seem to really, really like Jacob Harris as a special teamer, as a coverage guy on special teams. He was their, he said, they said he was their top special teamer on the board, and it seemed like they weren't the only one who had that sentiment. And they also view him as a, a you know, a project that could, that could be dangerous on offense. And, and he could be. He's huge. He's fast. Um, there's work to do, but, uh, he, he, in theory, he's big, he's fast. He could do a lot of the things that Gerald Everett could do in theory. Now, he's never played tight end before, so he's going to need to convert to the position. Um, but, you know, they, they, you know they, there's, there is a lot of upside with this dude. You know, he could be, theoretically, do a lot of the things that we had hoped Josh Reynolds could do coming out of the fourth round. And also, immediately, he's going to be that guy on special teams. He seems like he's a shoe-in to make the team for a long time if he— if he loves that hype, he's a ridiculous athlete. He originally was going to college to play soccer, um, and before walking on to play football at, at some other schools, uh, before ultimately ending up at UCF. It's a really, really interesting pick, and you know it does beg the question: You already went receiver in the second round. Is it worth throwing a fourth round pick at another receiver slash tight end because he's a good special teamer? I don't know, but I out of all the picks, I'm the most curious to see how this one plays out. Uh, this is a like wild selection, and I because they had a bunch of the fourth round picks, I'm not gonna sit here and say I, I hate the pick. It's late fourth round, you know, it's not the most important pick. It's a gamble that could pay off in a big way. And you know, maybe he's never a good receiver, but he becomes like Matthew Slater on special teams. That's worth taking in the fourth round, I think. Um, but it's, this is a fucking crazy pick. Uh, I, I kind of, I kind of love just how wild it is. Wait, <laughs> I mean, how do you feel about Harris? Well, so here's the thing with, with Harris. I think again, when you look at, uh, when you draft Tutu Atwell, 
that's not necessarily what the Rams needed. It was an absolute luxury pick, and that's basically how you can view Harris as well. So Harris is bringing something a little bit different because the Rams absolutely didn't have a big-bodied receiver that they could target consistently. Like, the closest was basically Tyler Higby, who honestly isn't that big for a tight end. And then there was Josh Reynolds, who never really lived up to being that big-bodied receiver in in the end zone. Like, he, he would occasionally get, get the ball in the end zone, but it was not very consistent, and he was honestly another possession receiver. He, he just never amounted to what the Rams were hoping for. And then you enter a mix, a guy like Jacob Harris, who is a big-bodied target, and if you look at some of his highlights, this is a guy that found the end zone quite frequently, and, you know, he made some spectacular plays. Now, obviously, on the NFL level, that's going to be a little bit more challenging. Uh, Not even a little bit, a lot more challenging. So adding this guy to the mix is going to be interesting. Now, this becomes especially more interesting if Bryson Hopkins becomes that guy as well. Because when you look at Bryson Hopkins and you look at Jacob Harris, their measurables, they're pretty dead even. Like, there's there's really not a whole lot of difference between these guys in terms of measurables. And that's interesting. Now, it's kind of weird because we drafted Bryson Hopkins last year, even with the loss of Gerald Everett, you still, as I mentioned, have Tyler Higby there. You have Bryson Hopkins, and then that's not even including Johnny Munt, who is going to be our kind of blocking tight end. So do we carry four receivers and have Jacob Harris redshirting this year? Or are we going to just kind of put him in the mix as, uh, as Steve mentioned, a special teamer? Which, hey, if that's if that's a purpose for him, why not? Look. Let's get some use out of them instead of just kind of keeping them out for the year like we did with Bryson Hopkins. So adding these two to the mix uh, eventually might be very beneficial because then you'll have two big body tight ends as potential receiving threats in the end zone. And as we said, this is it's time to get even more weapons for uh for Stafford, and at this point, they have enough weapons to have their own little army, their little offensive army. So I'm all for it. You know, again, it's kind of a luxury pick, not exactly something that I would have chosen. But then again, I'm not a I'm not a GM, and clearly, Sean McVay and and Les Snead has a vision for this offense. If it pans out, this is going to be a scary good offense. Yeah, it's, you know, I'd probably feel a lot better about this pick if we didn't draft a similar player last year in Bryce Hopkins and we didn't already take a luxury receiver in the second round here. But, I, I mean, I, I kind of like the pick. It's, it's crazy. Uh, and, and, yeah, it, it seems like day one he'll be, he'll be useful on special teams. And, look, if one of him or Bryson Hopkins works out at tight end, then there you go. You got it. Um, if you really like this player, Taking Bryson Hopkins last year shouldn't stop you from taking him because you have no idea if Bryson Hopkins would be anything. He didn't play. 
So, uh, we'll, I mean, we'll see what happens. This is uh, it's a fun pick. Uh, it, it's certainly a fun pick. And when you have the roster that the Rams have, you know, you can kind of afford those fun picks. Uh, we'll probably go a little more lightning round between for the last four guys, I imagine. At 174 in the fifth round, they took defensive end Ernest Brown out of Northwestern. Uh, I don't have a ton of takes on Ernest Brown. I, li- I like the fit. On paper, he can fill the void left by Morgan Fox as he develops, and uh, Wes Need agrees. He said on Ernest Brown, big Ernest Brown, typical Northwestern player, tall, long, heavy, just an instinctive football player. He's someone who could add versatility, maybe playing inside and outside, a little bit like Morgan Fox at times. So, I mean, uh, you get a versatile 3-4 defensive end. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens. It's a fifth round. He might never pan out, but I, I mean, I, I, I like adding this pick here, even though you did add Bobby Brown. Um, I, I, I still think it's nice to get another guy in the room. Well, this, this pick is, is pretty straightforward. There's really no secret message behind it. There isn't no potential using him for this or that. He's essentially Morgan Fox's replacement. Whereas, uh, Bobby Brown, I feel like is a little more versatile. He can be, um, he can line up inside, uh, like as an interior defensive lineman or outside. So, um, I think this uh, Brown was probably drafted more for a sort of future Michael Brockers uh, pick, but uh, we'll we'll see about Bobby Brown. But in terms uh, in terms of Ernest, um, there, there's really nothing to it. He he's literally just a replacement for Morgan Fox, and he may be something special down the road. We'll see. I I like some of his. Uh, um, some of his type of play, I, I think he's a great size and Hey, that's, that's all you really need in a backup. We're not asking him to, to become our starting defensive end. So, you know, that as far as anything's concerned, I I'm, I'm happy with it. I think it's about as good as pick you can get at, the uh, what was he a fifth rounder? No, but yeah, he was a fifth rounder, right? Yeah, he was a fifth late, later fifth. Yeah, there you go. So practically a sixth rounder. <laughs> right. Um, seventh rounders, we took three guys, and I mean just for reference to show you how absolute much of a crapshoot seventh round is. Last year we drafted Clay Johnson, Sam Sloman, and Tremaine Ankrum in the seventh round. One of those guys got cut in the preseason. One of those guys actively made the team worse. And one of them, Tremaine Ankrum, still here. Uh before that we drafted Nick Scott, who's become fairly productive, and Dakota Allen, who I Regret to say, didn't make the team. Year before that, Trayvon Young, Trayvon Howard, Justin Lawler, uh, we'll see. Or Trayvon Young was a six-round pick, sorry. But Trayvon Howard might be something. Year before that, Ejuan Price didn't make the team. Bryce Hager, Mario Nefetti. <laughs> this one's great. Uh, Mitchell Van Dyke, CB Bryant, Michael Sam, Demetrius Rainey. Uh, Demetrius Rainey stuck around for a little bit, but none of those guys really uh, panned out. Obviously, Michael Sam was a notable draft pick. Uh, but this year, at 233, we took running back Jake Funk out of Maryland. Kind of a Swiss Army knife player out of Maryland. Seems to project that he'll make the team and be a special teams player. Has potential to be a kick returner and punt returner, uh, which is something that this team could really use. He did have two ACL tears in college, which derailed this draft stop a bit. But, I mean, if he's healthy, maybe that means he could add some running back depth to the room as well. Not that we need a no guy who's going to play at running back at all, but we could use some depth at running back. I think still, you know, 
both Cam Akers and Daryl Henderson were injured last year. Uh, if Jake Funk could be a the third running back or maybe even the fourth running back, that'd be great. Uh, but it seems like he'll make the team to do special teams. <laughs> you got any yeah. thoughts on, on the Funkster? Great well, name. Going to be a great I, jersey. I, I got to say, you know, the Rams really brought the funk with that one. Yeah, I'm I, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I, I had to. I had to. But, uh, yeah, so with Jake Funk, I mean, I, I think part of the the reason the Rams brought him in was for special teams and special teams only. I, I think in terms of running backs, the Rams are set. Uh, I think they were pretty high on Xavier Jones being the backup. And really, they didn't bring in too much competition for him. So I, I think if Funk does make the roster, it'll be just for special teams only. And that's really it. Which, hey, you know, one of the things that the Rams struggled with last season is special teams in pretty much all aspects of it. Right. Whether it be returning, whether it be kicking, punting, even coverage was just horrendous. So I applaud the effort to try and actively make it better, which could be from our new special teams coach. So, yeah, I'm all for it. Yeah, man, I agree. Uh, it's a fine pick. It's a seventh round. Like I said, these these guys probably won't matter. Um, and if they do, that's an absolute win. Uh, 249, we took wide receiver Ben Scron- Skoronek out of Notre Dame. I feel like I'm butchering that. Uh, and any domers listening are probably furious. Here's a quote from Sean McVay about Ben. He said, Ben has probably been in a three-point stance more than Harris has. So I saw him in the goal line packages. He's a toughness. He has a good feel to his game where he's got some versatility. So you never know. Teams don't have to treat him like a tight end receiver with how we'll utilize him, but he's not afraid to do the wordy work. Uh, the problem with that quote is he says, with how we'll utilize him. There's no fucking chance this guy gets utilized ever. Like, if we just talk about all the pass catchers that we have and added, there is absolutely no way Ben Skarnack catches a pass for the Rams in 2021, even if he makes a team. Put it on paper, Johnny. I will bet people that this guy does not catch a pass for the Rams. I don't even know if he's going to make the team. Uh, well, he's Ben Skoranek, by the way. Skoranek. <laughs> and it does seem like he actually has some potential as a big body. Uh, in theory, he can catch some contested balls. But it's so crowded, and like he's not going to make the team over uh, Harris. You know? like I just, <laughs> I it's just incredible we drafted a third wide receiver in this draft. It just cracks me up. It, yeah, I think he he was just, you know, they, they saw best player available, and uh, they went after him, you know, and they they probably figured what could it hurt if there's a receiver that ends up getting hurt in training camp or uh, if if he excels in one way or another. Maybe he has a chance to make the roster. Worst case scenario, they put him on the practice squad. Uh, you know, which, hey, uh, that's not really a bad sign to have a seventh round pick on your practice squad. And uh, hope, hopefully, if he's good enough, uh, you know, he makes it and uh, teams don't steal him from us. But, um, which, which is also a possibility. But, you know what? Hey, why not? Seventh round pick. Caution to the wind. He has a lot of potential, and uh, does does he make the roster as as an active receiver? Highly doubtful, but you know, again, seventh round pick. 
Yeah, and you never know. There is some upside there. Um, the Rams passed. It's saying the Tutu Owls, a fifth receiver. None of those guys are guaranteed to make the team, like the Nasimba Websters, the Tristan Jacksons of the world. So he'll have a chance for a spot. Um, the last pick of the draft, which I absolutely love this pick, man. Edge rusher, outside linebacker, Chris Garrett, out of Concordia St. Paul, a Division II school. Now, it might seem a little hypocritical because of what I was saying about Quinn Miners, but there's a difference between taking a D3 player in the second round and taking a D2 player at 252. Um, listen, if you're a D2 player with NFL prospects, like I want your numbers to be just outrageous. And this guy's numbers are fucking outrageous. Uh, he had 36.5 sacks, 48.5 tackles for loss in 28 games at Concordia St. Paul. Just, just wild numbers, man. Uh, he was dominating. He averaged 1.3 sacks per game in 2019, led the nation in, with 14 sacks in 2020. Obviously, he played D3, D2, so like, there's, there's a chance that he gets the NFL, just gets crushed and gets cut this offseason and never plays again because he was only dominated because of the talent he was playing against. But look, man, at 252, this is the kind of player I want to sit here and talk about. I love it. He, he uh, swing for the fences, man. If this pick works out, you're going to look like a genius. And I think there's a chance, you know, if he makes, I, this is the kind of guy where like, if he gets cut, he's going to be on the practice squad. I, ha I have no doubts. I don't know if he's going to make the team. It's way too early to tell this type of thing transitions, but uh, I, I love it. This is, these are the kind of players I want them to target in the depths of the seventh round. Well. As far as, as Chris Garrett is concerned, I, I absolutely love this pick. I mean, he, we, we don't know in the grand scheme of things how well this guy will turn out because all we have is his success on the Division II level. So obviously he didn't see elite talent at all because the likelihood he even finds a, a player that he played against, not even his own team, but... Uh, the odds of him finding a player he played against his entire collegiate career that makes it to the NFL it is probably close to none. So when you keep that into perspective, that says a lot. But that being said, he did dominate. He did prove that he shouldn't have been there. He should have been on, you know, probably somewhere in the SEC, you know. He, he was that talented. But um, for it being a seventh-round pick and seeing that the Rams could use a little depth at outside linebacker, I, I think it's a great pick. You know, we don't know how well he'll do. It, it could be that he ends up on the practice squad. Well, hell, he could, he could end up being cut. But at the same time, we need depth. You know, it would not surprise me at all that Garrett makes his team, you know, and having him there learning isn't such a bad idea. You know, we obviously you have Leonard Floyd as your starter and beyond that is, is a big question mark. Uh, you know, uh, I'm all for bringing him in for competition. And at, as I said, worst case scenario, you cut him. Uh, what nobody's going to, frown at that being at pick 252. I, I actually hope and pray that this guy 
make something of himself because that would be an amazing steal as seventh round. But he he has a, a tough road ahead of him for sure. Yeah, and we'll see what happens. But it's you know, like you said, it, there's no risk and there's a pretty high reward if it works out. Uh, it could take some time, but that's the kind of player that I think would be sought after as an undrafted free agent. And you draft him so you secure that. You secure him on your roster. Nobody else can go get him. Um, we'll talk about the undrafted free agents in a future pod because we've got a lot of weeks before actual content comes up. <laughs> Johnny, we, we've been gone for a little while here. I don't know. Should we still talk about this Marcus Peters quote today? I feel like we have to. You know what? Let, let's just go ahead and do it just because... We have to. We have to. Okay, I'm going <laughs> to... Let me read this quote. But it's a chance I edit this out and just put the actual quote in here. Here is Marcus Peters on a Keep the Leaves podcast called The Volume. Uh, he was asked how he, they started talking about how he felt about getting traded. And this is what he said. Uh, first of all, he said, like, fuck them. That's how I feel. That's how I still feel. Then he said, I felt disrespected in the sense of, yeah, y'all can trade me. That's a part of the business. But two minutes after that, you bring in another guy who does the same shit I do. Maybe a little bit different, but if we play the compare games, I do a little bit more because I make a little bit more plays. Now, you might be doing what you're doing, and we love what you're doing, and we love that you're doing that because that shit is exciting because you're competitive in a... In a just bleeped out, and I don't have the actual thing. <laughs> but I'm going to change the game. I'm not just going to be here trying to waste no time with nobody. I'm trying to get pigs, dog. I'm trying to make these plays happen. I'm trying to be explosive. I'm trying to be a presence known. So that shit was disrespectful to me. If we just hung out, if we just hung out a little bit, we'd have chipped that year, too. We'd bounce right back. I think that at the same time, it just got spunkier on that building and they didn't know how to handle it. I, man, I fucking love this dude so much. He just goes, we do the same shit and I do a little bit more. Talking about Jalen Ramsey. Uh, I don't agree with the sentiment there, but I love that's how he feels. That's how he should feel. He's playing in the NFL. He's one of the best cornerbacks in the world. I uh, have that swagger, man. That's why we loved you here. That's why you helped us get to a Super Bowl uh, through thick and thin, man. <laughs> He'll always be one of my favorite players. I was absolutely dying watching that video. And look, he said like he didn't think he was that him and Tlaib were the problem with the team, and that I agree with. You know, you upgrade a Jalen Rams if you can, but I don't know. Love him so much. I miss him. You know, the I immediately thought of Steve. When, when I when I saw this video, and actually I'd do anything to hear Steve try and uh, <laughs> try and sound like Marcus Peters reading that. Uh, I <laughs> I was thinking the whole time that Steve would be amazing trying to sound like Marcus Peters reading that quote. But anyway, yeah, I I I love Marcus Peters. He's always been entertaining to watch and. Uh, entertaining on and off the field. And, hey, you know what? Uh, if he feels like he's better than Jalen Ramsey, I think you always got to kind of have that kind of arrogance to some extent. And and uh, I, I think that's one of the reasons why he's as, as successful as he is. Do I agree? No, absolutely not. I think Jalen Ramsey is the better player. And there's a reason why the Rams invested in Jalen Ramsey as opposed to Marcus Peters. Not to suggest that Marcus Peters is a terrible player by any means, but I think that in the end, J Jalen Ramsey is the better player. 
and he's one of the reasons why the Rams had one of the best defenses, if not the best defense last season. So, you know, not, nothing against Marcus Peters. I have nothing but love for the guy. I think he's entertaining. I think he's funny. Um, and, hey, he's going to do him, you know. So, uh, in the end, I, I'm a little sad that he feel, he felt disrespected by our franchise uh, because, as far as I know, uh, the fans loved him. Uh, I certainly did. So I don't know if that's entirely true. Really? I'm sure there's some people listening to this podcast that are like, fuck that guy. What an asshole. Oh, well, well, not yeah. Me. Certainly not me. <laughs> yeah, okay, to an extent, yeah, I can agree with that. Yeah, I, I do think that there'll be some people that will be a little buttered after him saying, you know, fuck the Rams. Uh, you can't also blame how he feels either. Because even though the Rams didn't directly say it, and they won't ever say it, they basically said that, thank you, but we want Jalen Ramsey more. And they did. That's exactly what happened. They traded him, and they got Jalen Ramsey out of it. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. he's a better player, but uh, god damn, I love Marcus Peters, man. Uh, Alright, well, <laughs> been going for a while. Had, had to do that segment. Too timely not to. That's our guy. You're about to hear him in our exit music. Uh, but we're back next week. We'll talk. Uh, we'll probably talk on draft free agents, the thoughts on the line situation. But until then, uh, give us a five star rating on Apple Podcasts if you haven't already, and follow us on Twitter at Rivero, at Johnny Five Not Six at Talk Rams. Uh, if you want more draft coverage, you don't listen to Derek's show yet. Give him a listen. Put that out last night, and we'll talk to you guys next week. Tell Sean Payton, keep talking that we're going to see him soon. You feel me?